Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. Welcome to episode 122 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast, 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the, technically, this is our third episode for September 2014, and uh, the Daikaiju discussion episode, where we will be discussing Godzilla x Megaguirus. My co-hosts for the evening are Brian Cook. Hello. Rachel Cook. Hi there. And Cindy Okimoto. Hello. Welcome back, Cindy. Thank you. Good to have you here. Uh, we don't have very much to cover, actually, aside from the discussion. I and mean, we do have quite a bit of homework to cover. And, of course, we are going to watch the movie as well. But the uh, the news, if you want to hear news, listen to the last episode. We only have a couple things to talk about and, uh, <laughs> and so forth, which is cool, because that means less show prep for me. Let's go ahead and get started by uh, kicking things off with Godzilla vs. Biollante's main title. Now, this one was recorded by uh, an American group, actually, I believe, and it is something from the Monster Mania album. And uh, we'll play that, and then we'll play another song, and then we'll come right back. Thank you. 
that was uh i hope i didn't make you guys jump there that was not my intent at all this is, that was devo's monster man uh which wasn't a request i totally just wanted to play that because i i don't know i really like it because devo is awesome and because devo is awesome uh and then we played like i said before the main titles to godzilla versus violante uh and that was from the monster mania cd so i'll have a link in the show notes to that on amazon i think uh, and that, of course, brings us to our Daikaiju discussion. Hey, I don't have it written down in front of me, so here we go. <laughs> Once again, class, it's time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes one, uh, takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and refuse for the following discussion episode. Thanks to an online tool, I have randomly, ooh, randomly assigned one movie to each month, ensuring that this podcast will keep going for a long, long time. Not too shabby. Well done. Someday I will have it completely memorized, maybe in another four or five years. So, uh, But this month we are talking about Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, or as it was originally released in Japan, Godzilla x Megaguirus, the G Annihilation Strategy, which is Gojira x Megaguirus G Shometsu Sakusen, uh, an interesting title, reminds me of the title for Godzilla vs. Gigan, yes. Earth Defense Directive, I believe, yes, something that like that. Subtitle, yeah. Yeah, but uh, this is an interesting movie because it's the second film in the Millennium series, the first film directed by Masaki Tezuka, and uh, the second film to use the... Godzilla 2000 look, which was, you know, the giant spikes and the actually somewhat green skin of the, of the beast, which is sort of throws a wrench, like a monkey wrench into the, the works when you tell people Godzilla's not green. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause then you're like, oh, wait, except for these two movies. (laughs) But, uh, those are the, those are basically the details that I was going to say about this film before we go watch it. So let's go check out Godzilla versus Megaguirus and we'll we'll be right back. He's the greatest monster of all. What should I do? Hit the button and let's fry that lizard. But now he must face a new threat. 
the new plasma weapon we're developing, Black Hole, I will swallow Godzilla and keep it prisoner for eternity. Not only from our world, but from the past. What the hell's that? Millions of Meganula! Will this be the end of Godzilla? Godzilla versus Megagurus. Bet you didn't know I had a English audio trailer for <laughs> Megagurus. Sweet. I did not. That, that is the only excited. one from the Millennium series I've ever even heard slash found. <laughs> I was like, eh, check the old internets. <laughs> well, what do you know? Here we go. <laughs> so... It's Excellent. pretty terrible, and yeah. and definitely reinforces <laughs> why I don't watch the dubbed versions of these movies, the newer ones. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Let's fry that lizard! Anyway. Yeah. We watched the dub on the DVD the other day. Of oh, really? Years, just a little bit, uh-huh. just to compare like a couple scenes, and it was a really, really bad one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so we just finished watching Godzilla X Megagirus. Now, I think, uh, I can't remember if we mentioned this on the last episode, but X is how it was uh, originally marketed as in Japan, which is another, you know, term or allusion to verses. Mm-hmm. And I, I like it better. I consider it to be a little more true to the original nature of, <laughs> of the Millennium <laughs> Series movies. But uh, I, now everybody here had seen this film. Rachel was the most recent one. Mm-hmm. To to watch the uh, which one you said the dubbed? Well, well, we watched the yeah we watched it subtitled. We watched the dub just for a couple scenes to get. Oh, a taste. okay, okay, right on. And I would imagine I would imagine you preferred the subtitled version. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, almost always do. But the the that dub was particularly bad when we yeah. were just curious and we switch it over and check it and just awful. So. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the uh, the team that dubs them in Hong Kong knows how much most seasoned Godzilla fans actually like despise their work. It's, I, now I feel a little bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, so let's just go ahead and start with you, Rachel. Like, what are your initial thoughts of this film? Like, what did you think after you saw it for the first time? And what did you think seeing it this time? Um, I really enjoy this film. I liked, um, I love the opening when they're showing the same shots pretty much from the original film with Godzilla with the train in his mouth and, you know, him showing up, um, in Tokyo. Um, and it l- looks so cool to see the new suit, but in those shots and totally. kind of the black and white feel. And it's, it's really awesome. I thought it was a great start. And, um, but the movie ends really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'll just say that in in general terms, like the beginning of this film is much better than the ending of the film. Yeah. Um, did you enjoy this one as someone who really enjoys like the Showa era movies or because uh, I, I tend to think that this one is it tries to really evoke some of the Showa era stuff that we had been missing from the previous mm-hmm. Godzilla films. I think so. I think that is a big part of why I liked it. Um, but, um, but then also something that I really thought was cool was that I felt like it looked a lot like the Ultraman series. Um, and just, I don't know if it was because just the way the budget was set up and so they couldn't, you know, afford as 
pretty as of effects as some other films um but the coloring and just kind of the overall look of it especially with the the what are they the g the g graspers g graspers yes the g graspers um i don't know it kind of had a similar science patrol feel to them especially in the newer ultraman series um they looked a lot like that with their ship and how how they showed them yeah i actually you know (laughs) i think when i saw this film i had never seen any ultraman stuff before or maybe it was like just Tiga. I can't remember when I watched Tiga, but basically it's sort of around the same timeline. Mm-hmm. I like the Griffin ship, but it is very modern day sci-fi kind of. Yes. Yeah. Like <laughs> maybe not so realistic, but I mean, I, yeah. again, I, I don't mind that. And I absolutely adore the dimension tide gun. Yes. Oh yeah. You know, I had, I've, I cool. have, uh, had, so many people say, oh, it's so dumb. Like, <laughs> really? You're going to shoot a black hole? Never That's do great. I watch this movie and go, that's stupid. I think it's an awesome idea. <laughs> I mean, I really, I mean, and I, I love the A-Cycle Light Ray and the Maser Cannon. So I think that, you know, this is the kind of thing that reminds me of the Toho Mecca from yesteryear. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and I think they did a great job on it. I mean, and I, I do... As much as I will rip on this film in, I'm sure, several minutes, I do love it for what it attempts to do. Mm-hmm. Cindy, what did you think about this movie? How many times have you seen this one? Um, I think this is the fourth. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So not a lot of repeat watches for you? No. Um, I, I did make the unfortunate choice of watching it dubbed once with some friends because they did <laughs> not want to have to read all the subtitles. Poor, poor I people. said, okay, fine. We'll, we'll do the dubbed thing. And they weren't as bothered by it nearly as much as I was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think most, most people don't really consider like the quality of a dub. They just consider it dubbed. You right. Know? It's mm-hmm. just, okay. It's English. I don't have to look at subtitles. I can look at the visuals on the screen. Totally. Totally. Although now, because, okay. So we watched the brand new, Sony Blu-ray, and I noticed that my audio was a little off. Actually, listeners, if you watch the Blu-ray and you notice the that the audio was like off, please let me know because I, I don't, I have never seen or any mention at least online about that. So I would love to have the opportunity to trade that in for a perfectly yeah. synced <laughs> version. But uh, I, I, I might actually throw on the dub and watch it later and see if the same problem happens. Hmm. So. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I mean, did you? But did, when you saw this, when it came out, right? Yeah. Because like, it was mm-hmm. you were on the same bootleg scene that I yes. was. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Like, no, right, no. right. I have a hilarious story, especially since Tiger's not in here about this. And I, I know I told it before. I think I've told it on the podcast, but it was many years ago when this movie came out on DVD in Japan. It was shortly available on the bootleg market and uh i picked one up and i at the time was really psyched to get it and i was also working a job that i hated so uh i tiger is 16 now so he was very little when this movie came out and i fell asleep watching it in front of the tv he was awake and uh i woke up to the sound of this 
And I opened my eyes and I look and he had opened the DVD player <laughs> and taken my brand new DVD and was basically just had it on the ground and he was oh, no. moving it around like it was like a car. <laughs> but it was just like scratching the crap out of the disc oh, and I gosh. was like... Oh no! <laughs> no! I really wanted to keep my version. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I should call him in there and get him to relive that memory through me. I'm sure he doesn't remember. I'm, I think he was probably like maybe three or less when that happened. Anyway, uh, what about you, Brian? What do you, th- what do you think about Godzilla X Megaguirus. It's kind of a mixed bag. It's a decent, decent movie, but I, I feel that the production values kind of come off really low. Like Rachel, you were saying that you liked how it looked kind of like the Ultraman stuff, but for me, especially when the movie came out back in 2001, mm-hmm. 2000, 2000, actually December of 2000. Okay. Um, I, re- I, I really thought that it looks cheap back then. And, and now that many years have gone by, I can, I can appreciate what was there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I dug it a lot more reevaluating it now than I did back in the day. Cause especially coming off Godzilla 2000, which I was a big fan of, uh, this one was a bit of a letdown, but like I said, now I kind of appreciate it. So interesting. So the way I feel about this film, uh, sort of my initial thoughts are that. I'd say maybe 70% of the film I really love. And it's not a chronological 70. Like, so there's, you could go through and I could almost have like a pros and cons and go, oh, that, that was awesome. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Ew, no, then change that, you know, and just kind of go through and have a pretty much a 70 30 split, I think. <laughs> we were talking last night about this film and I said that it almost felt like they shot it. Chrono, uh, in chronological order because it's really very tight and very good and the effects are uh, you can at least appreciate the effort that went into the effects all the way until when Megagirus's final form-ish is born and then it's almost like, well, we ran out of money so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now the rest of this has to go on the cheap, which is not exactly true, but like Watching it again tonight, which is the first time I've seen it in probably about three years, uh, I would say that Megagirus really is a valiant effort, especially by Tezuka and the special effects team that he had working with him. You know, it's they did a great job for what they were trying to do. And uh, really, if you could go back in time and just start the process over again, Maybe not make the the deadline a uh, December release. Maybe yeah. release it the following year. I'm not sure why Toho sort of felt that they had to release a movie every year for the Millennium series. Because clearly, when you have like a break a, a, of a year or two, you can get a lot accomplished in that time. Like, Biolante looked fantastic, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. after a couple of year break. And uh, even King Ghidra was lauded for its special effects at the time. And mm-hmm. You know, I I just really want to like Megagirus more than I do, but it does actually have so many elements that I love in Toho movies, the mecha, the science fiction, the monsters, and some fantastic monster shots, which we'll, I'm sure, get to in a minute. Uh, there was a question, maybe not a question, but a, 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 a what if that I said, like, what if to these guys, what if that kid did not take the egg. What if he had just left it? 
right there in the forest in Osaka, right? What would have happened? Now, see, in my imagination, the Megagira's eggs were part of the reason why Tokyo floods. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Even though we're given no on-screen information (laughs) like that at all. Uh, So I would imagine that they would flood the forest to grow more eggs. But again, we're not given any information as to why Tokyo is flooded and if that is caused by the Megagiras. It's kind of implied that it is, but... Well, if you think about it in terms of the... Of, you know, the flooding in Shibuya, it was because he put that egg into the sewer system, Mm -hmm. whereas it was just sitting out in the open. Now, what about you, Rachel? Like, what was your what if scenario? If you have one, if you don't have one, no big deal. But like, if you have one. My thought is that, okay, does it need, it seemed to me that the egg needed the water from the sewer system to hatch the other all of the mega nulons. Mm-hmm. So um, there is, I guess, a possibility if it is in the if it is in the forest, if it rained, it still could have happened. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been a bunch of forest bugs, and it could have been a whole different scenario, whole different movie, but a whole different Godzilla movie. X Megagirus X cicadas. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but uh. But I guess there's the possibility too that maybe they, maybe because it didn't have access to the water and it just sat in the forest, maybe none of it would have happened. Yeah. 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 Cindy, do you have a what if situation? I'm, I'm going with the if it had sat in the forest untouched, uh, possibly it never would have hatched. It would have lain dormant. All right. Until someone else came along, found it, took it to the city <laughs> and ended up dropping yeah. it in the sewer. <laughs> I think I'll, I think my, my what if situation was very similar, but I'd also like to step one past that and say, sure, the kid takes the egg, but instead of taking it with him to Tokyo for no reason, he contacts, cause he clearly has the ability to contact the G graspers. Yeah. He just contacts them immediately and says, ah, oh, look what I found in the forest. They kill it. The end. They could just focus on Godzilla. <laughs> That's what I would have said. But, you know, then that wouldn't make for such an entertaining film. <laughs> uh, but I, I do love things about this film. Do you guys want to talk about the negatives or you want to talk about the positives first? Hmm. I think there's a lot of each, I think. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the positives. Let's keep it positive for now. Uh, Brian, what were some of the, some of your favorite parts of this film? All of the effect scenes of Godzilla in the city stuff, all that stuff was great. All the effects of him, like, especially in the intro, uh, going through cities and we see it like from a low camera angle looking up. I thought that all looked great. I'm really, really, really impressed by the, the scene, uh, where Godzilla's on the island and he gets swarmed by the dragonflies and he has to like rub against the mountain to get him off and everything. That is really, really cool and reminds me of kind of like uh, Ibra, like the, yeah. the South Sea Godzilla movies. It really kind of was a throwback to that. And oh, I, I love that, especially rewatching the movie. That really struck me as like, that's a really impressive and cool scene. I I really love that scene. Mm-hmm. The in- I mean, it's a, it's a great buildup, right? You've got the intro stuff. Which I there it's flawed because it's older, mm-hmm. and also I think there's 
there are probably some budgetary problems and the miniature work isn't really, really awesome. But like, seriously, the, for a freshman, uh, you know, effort from Tezuka, I thought it was awesome. This, mm-hmm. this intro. And, um, I remember the first time I saw it, I was kind of blown away by how they brought the action to the, to the heroes in, mm-hmm. you know, running through the streets with rocket launchers. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so so dangerous and so cool uh and they lasted quite a bit you know i thought you know they they didn't just get wiped out all at once they were sort of like scattering all around to to break his attention that was good stuff and then of course the the scene on the island really just even from the the point where they're they're getting godzilla they're trying to lure him to the island from that until like the time he leaves it's just awesome like such a good scene yeah Probably, and that was one of the ones that we voted on. That people were voting on is the the mega neuron swarm on nice. the island. Yeah, but very cool. Unfortunately, didn't didn't break the top ten in the in the in the panel. Rachel, what were some of the, your favorite parts of this film? I really like Godzilla's suit in this film. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I I know it's it's a little over the top with the massive purple <laughs> yeah. fins there, you know, spikes and they're really big, but I think it's yes. rad. Uh, my absolute favorite scene in this film is when, um, uh, what's her name? The main character girl, um, the major, when she lands on, when she get, gets up onto Godzilla in the water, Yes. She's in the ocean and yeah, that was that, gonna be my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> is is so rad. I and um Brian and I even after watching that movie the other day, we looked up some behind the scenes footage or not footage, but um pictures. Pictures, yeah. Of, yeah. of that set piece with Godzilla's back with his spikes and mm-hmm. everything with that she crawled up on to. Um but even though some of the effects work isn't perfect when they're pulling back and they're showing her on Godzilla. It's not ideal, but for the most part, it works really well and you don't see that in other Godzilla films, so it, it's very Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. yeah. When did Shadow Video of the Colossus made? come out? 2005. So this is a game that, uh, explain that, that for people who uh, might not play that or have a PlayStation or, or understand right. what that game is. Shadow of the Colossus was a PlayStation 2 and then a PlayStation 3 game uh, where you basically run around fighting giant monsters. You climb up on them, you climb all, all over their bodies, and you try to stab weak spots in a very video game fashion. They have glowing weak spots on their bodies, and you stab them. So the object of the game is basically you crawling around what a, what is basically kaiju for the entire time it's a really if you're a kaiju fan you should totally check out shadow of the colossus yeah i mean i see i've seen like uh you showed me the game at your mm-hmm. at your place and i unfortunately don't have any kind of playstation thing so i can't play it you'll have to borrow it yeah i will let yes. you borrow it and you can play through the whole thing so. well i i definitely want to check it out and, and a little bit more than you know just kind of like casually yeah. in, over an evening go, oh yeah look at that game uh but it's that scene where she climbs up on Godzilla's spines. I mean, this is another one of the reasons that this movie really does work as a Godzilla film is it tries to do things that haven't been done before. It also ties them into things that we have seen before, you know, and that's just, I, I really respect what they were doing with this film. Uh, and you know, up, up to a certain point, of course, Cindy, what were some of your favorite things from this film? 
The introduction was different because usually you do not get that kind of intro into any Godzilla film. It doesn't have, you don't have that big intro and then the credits roll in. And the black and yeah. white was great because that brought you from the very beginning all the way up through the present and it ties mm-hmm. everything together. And I also loved that when she was crawling on his back, because when they pull back, <laughs> you see how small she is, and then you get the scale of the spine. You're thinking, yeah. oh, my God, yeah, totally. this woman cool. is either incredibly brave or incredibly crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of column A, a yeah. little bit of column B. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <sighs> Seriously. Like, I, I know that the effects are dated from that particular scene, mm-hmm. you know, and things don't match up to make it seem as realistic. But, like, doing that, you know, suspending your disbelief, Watching that particular moment, it's, I mean, it's really impressive that they did that. And, uh, I do love how you see her on the spine or on the scales yeah. of Godzilla and it pulls back and mm-hmm. it was almost like, mm-hmm. uh, see, like shots that were stitched together. Yeah. And just everything from when it pulls back to his face roaring and turning his head is just so, so rad. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. moment when he turns, that's such a well, like like you say, it's a little janky in the middle, but like once you get to either end of that, oh man, both those so- shots back to back look so cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want this movie to get remade necessarily, but like let's say it was, they put the movie off until 2015, you know, and they could make it with better effects and still using the suits and oh, so good stuff. Yeah. Such good, uh, such wow. I should do the Shiva thing, but <laughs> anyway, it was... This movie has some really, really impressive, like, just vignettes. Like, this part I love, you know, and I would almost say that, you know, shot for shot kind of thing. Like, with the the amount of things that I'm about to say in the negative portion, I just I want the listeners to know that there are parts of this movie that I actually hold very high within the entire series. Uh, and, you know, they're all what you guys touched on, you know, the, the, the major holding on to Godzilla, the mega neuron swarm on the island. I mean, even, even stuff like, sure, Shibuya flu, uh, floods, and you've got mm-hmm. to deal with that in your own mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, don't, don't think about it. But the guys going down the street, I guess, with, on yeah. the water, and then you hear the music, and they turn. And there's just like that side of the building is mm-hmm. just completely yeah, covered right. in the mega neurons. And they're just like, they start shooting at them. And the effects are a little wonky because they're not perfect. But man, they tried really hard. They tried really hard. <laughs> and it's and impressive. It's a really good, I mean, it's solid, mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. solid. So, you know, if you can, if you can suspend the disbelief and check your, uh, your problems at the door kind of thing, mm-hmm. then it's something that if you can get through that, it's really enjoyable. Yeah. And the movie just has, actually just has too many of those to name in this one particular section of, of this, uh, review. So let's go ahead and move on to the things we didn't like, things that really fell flat, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and start that off. <laughs> so I love Masaki Tezuka's, uh, efforts. Like, as we've said on the podcast before, Megagiris, then, Mecha Godzilla and then Tokyo SOS. It's like every single one was improving. Mm-hmm. And of course, that means that his first attempt here at Megagiris, there's some things that really fall flat. His characterization, 
I actually think is better in this film than it is in in uh, Mega Godzilla and Tokyo SOS, like the actual character development and and so forth. But the the biggest problem I have with this film and with Tezuka's direction is that the bad guy in the film, uh, whose name I totally said I was going to look up earlier, but there's the guy who's in charge of um, the Science Institute or yeah. the G. Grasper. He was also in uh, Final Wars. As a Planet X guy. Yes, that's right. He, uh, Masato, I'm guessing it's Eve. Okay. It's E-V, it's E-V-E. So Eve is how I would say that in English, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's not Eve. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that guy's character, which is Motohiko Sugiura, I just never felt that he was bad or good. The only times he was really even like emoting was when the dimension tide wasn't firing. Like, yeah, it's like every other scene with him, he just could have been a cardboard cutout, like puppet yeah. or something like that. It was really kind of disappointing to the story. It's because it's, mm-hmm. it's a great story. You know, it's a great idea that this guy has been shilling Japan mm-hmm. and just like slowly trying to use like, the kinds of energy that Godzilla is attracted to, but like on the surface, he's like, Oh no, we're trying new things. You know, just what a, it's such, you know, who would have done really well in that 1960s Kenji Sahara, right? Oh. Yes, like, he would have yeah. been I mean, he, that's like the same kind of thing that he, I mean, not the same, same thing really, but like he could have played that character from Mothra versus Godzilla mm-hmm. in this film. It would have been great, you know? Yeah. I, and there are other things that I really ugh, just, I'm bummed about Megagirus, the final form of Megagirus. It's beautiful, right? The the actual yeah. monster itself looks great. The implementation was terrible. And yeah. uh you guys know I, I can't stand the does it float or does it fly kind of thing that we have yeah. going on in the Heisei era. And Megagirus, I think, did worse than those Heisei era movies. And I I wish they had picked one like either do the supersonic speed with the wings flapping mm-hmm. or just have it float <laughs> yeah know? yeah so when, when they animate the wings flapping really fast mm-hmm. it, it's so uneven because it looks right at the beginning like in the first scene that you see it it happens and it's like oh well that should that's how it should look from now on and they never really go back to that idea it's really strange yeah it's a weird i don't know why they did it that way i mean Maybe that was because they actually didn't know how to do it when they started filming or something. But, you know, thank God they improved because Mothra in Tokyo SOS is the best ever. Like the way the wings flap in that movie. I was I was like, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, they've got it right. You know. Uh, So what about you, Cindy? What's something you didn't care for in this film? Um, well, there's a couple times where, you know, you said suspension of disbelief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right at the beginning with the, uh, hello, we're going to do that little quote magic trick of his with oh, yes, the curry yes. powder and the rice and we put the bowl over it and bingo, we've got a spoonful of curry and rice and it's all cooked and the children are amazed. The, they come in and they realize, oh, look, there's like miniature micro robots and a microwave that cooks it. And my first response was, uh, how come the little miniature robots aren't being fried by the microwaves? <laughs> and you said suspension of disbelief. <laughs> Did I say that like 17 times during the movie? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah, there's some things it's just like, you know, your, your brain goes, okay, I know this is a monster movie, but yeah. what's up yeah. with that? <laughs> totally. Totally. What about you, Rachel? Something, this is kind of, it, I think it was 
bad for the film, like just a bizarre way they did it, but there's parts of it that I think are awesome. So it is a negative overall, but also positive, we'll say. Okay. Okay. So what it is, is that the most terrifying horror scene in the middle of the movie, or toward the beginning of the movie, I guess it is, when the mega, is it the mega new launch form? Yeah, Yeah. that um, the random guys, like, you know, you go get the beer and I'm going to go over here and I'm yeah, going to my headphones yeah. on and I'm listening to music and smoking. And then somebody comes up, you know, the Megan Ulan comes up and like attacks him and it's horrific and disgusting <laughs> and just so out of the blue, it feels like. We're like, oh my God. Yeah. And, yeah. Just, and then, you know, and then the girl shows up and she's grabbing the disgusting headphones <laughs> yeah. and you just think, what the heck is going on? It just seems really just <laughs> intense for this movie compared to the rest of it. It's yeah. just like, whoa, is that what this movie's going to do? Yeah. But they don't yeah. really return to that kind of horror, I guess you could say. Yeah, definitely the so. most violent scene yeah. in any Godzilla film, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. But yeah. Just, and so if I totally agree with you. You know, it's just really, it's almost out of place. It's not even mm-hmm. almost out of place. It's absolutely out of place. Yeah. And I think that that was one of those things when the movie came out. I seem to remember somebody saying, like, maybe this isn't for your kids to watch, but it's really <laughs> right. just that quick little yeah. spot mm-hmm. there. I actually was kind of enjoying it a little bit more this time than normal because I was thinking about it in terms of uh developing the story. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if Tezuka actually thought about this and uh, or the writer like came up with all this backstory like oh yeah we're gonna bring in the mega neurons from rodan and here's how they kill their victims first they spray a gross black (sighs) sticky substance on them Mm -hmm. and that blinds them like in jurassic park the the dilophosaur Mm -hmm. and then uh and then they kill them or whatever and it's just like they showed that twice the the dude getting blurted with that Mm -hmm. stuff and then the lady got uh, drenched in it too and it, again like they never explain what it was i mean the scientist which uh, the paleontologist <laughs> i could do without him too but yeah i mean he has me up until the point where he goes oh yeah <laughs> and they're so aggressive Extreme. and then another time he says like uh, the the mega Gearus was the uh, the top predator or whatever he said like for it's for centuries or something like yeah. that. Like it was, it was unbeatable. And I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> you don't know that. It's just like kind of, I had to suspend my disbelief. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, so violent that scene. Yeah. What about you, dude? Hmm. What bugs you? <clears throat> well, uh, one of my biggest complaints is in the, in the in battle sequence, there is this weird, slow motion like this weird stuttery step yeah the stuttered cameras and i yeah it's like someone did that on a like an actual vhs video camera (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean that weird stuttery is so bad and distracting but i mean it, it the the fight kind of goes away from that and and then and you don't it doesn't go back to being that bad again but for those moments where it is that stuttery i'm just like oh this is a terrible way to set up the final battle of a now, godzilla movie now are you talking about the the megagirus view of godzilla because that's what i always assumed that that was i never thought about that yeah i never thought that was his point yeah of view. i think that was megagirus's uh, okay 
literally, you are looking through the eyes of Megagirus there, which is why it's that step thing. Now, technically speaking, I believe what they did is something similar to uh, shooting in, like, instead of 24 frames per second, shooting in 12 frames per second, <clears throat> and then playing it out at 24 frames per second, so it sort of does that stepped yeah. thing. I mean, I know I've seen that in a million kung fu movies when they are like, oh, no, this needs to be in slow motion, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so they do the opposite. But, you know, uh, I honestly feel that, uh, like I said before, like once Megaguirus in her final form is born, the movie kind of... Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Unfortunately. But, um, but you know, once Megaguirus actually gets destroyed... I actually love the ending of the film, you know, like except for the the weird shots. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Those still frames are are very odd. Anyway, let's uh close out our discussion here. Oh, the one thing I did want to say, it's great to see Toho bringing back classic actors again. We hadn't seen that since 19 Jeez, well, 1995, you had Akira Takarada because some of those guys were coming into the Heisei era. Mm -hmm. You've seen it more recently, Brian. Were there any classic Toho actors in Godzilla 2000? I don't think so. No, yeah, think yeah. So. so it was nice to see Yuriko Hoshi, mm -hmm. uh, who was the photographer in Mothra vs. Godzilla and the reporter in Gija the Three-Headed Monster. So it was nice to see her back. And, of course, Susumu Kurobe, who played Hayata... Yes. And the mustachioed henchman and yeah. Gager the Three-Headed Monster. <laughs> so uh, it's nice to see him in there for a second as well. Now, final thoughts. Would you show this to a, a kaiju newbie? Do you think this movie has a lasting, any sort of lasting power as an entry in the Godzilla series? Go, Brian. I would not show it to a newbie. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is incredibly interesting to look at because it is kind of like the practice run for... This director who went on to do two very good Godzilla movies afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is, it is kind of like a practice Godzilla movie in a lot of ways. So it's interesting to look at in that regard, but it is kind of a flawed movie overall. Definitely. I wonder what Toho thought of Tezuka after, after this film was finished. Hmm. I mean, he, they clearly liked him enough to bring him back for the next two films. So. And I checked the budget, which yeah. we talked about before. The budget for Godzilla 2000 and Godzilla vs. Megaguirus is identical. Hmm, interesting, oh, wow. interesting. I believe this is the last movie... Ooh, I should look this up before I say it, because I hate saying wrong things. I believe this is the last Godzilla film in the next couple of years uh, to not have... I mean, it was just a standalone film, mm -hmm. because GMK had a Hamtaro... Uh, cartoon attached to it, right. and so did so did Tokyo Mechagodzilla, SOS. and I think Tokyo SOS did yeah. as well. I don't think <laughs> I don't think Final Wars did, but uh, yeah, let's not talk about that. So, Rachel, what about you? Um, I agree with Brian. I, I don't think I'd show it to a kaiju newbie. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, but overall, I think that there's a lot of parts that are um really a lot of fun and solid and I enjoyed. And so I think it does have a good lasting effect as far as, you know, the kaiju movies go. I think it's something that is fun to revisit and check out. And it's got it's definitely a lot of parts that are really worth it. Awesome. Yeah. I, I agree with that. What about you, Cindy? Final thoughts. 
I would actually show this if you could double bill it with Godzilla 2000 first. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, to to have some a bunch of people up and go, hey, we're going to watch two Godzilla movies, show them 2000 first, and then show them this one. But I would see if I could force them to watch it subtitled and not dubbed. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, before we move on to my final thoughts, Brian and Rachel, because you watched Godzilla 2000 recently, which one do you think holds up better as an entire film? Not because, as we were saying, Megagirus has a lot of really great stuff mm-hmm. and it has a lot of really bad stuff. But Godzilla 2000, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I'm counting on you to tell me which one is better. Oh, 2000 by a long 2000 shot. is I, better. I, I'm a big fan of Godzilla 2000. I really was taken in by the characters and I thought the effects looked really neat. Uh, and it, I think it's, it's, it's a much better film than okay. this one. You don't have to agree with your husband, Rachel. Well, I I can't really have a truly valid opinion because I've only watched Brian showed me some clips of Godzilla 2000 recently. Um, Oh, you didn't watch the whole thing. I didn't watch the whole thing recently. So I can't really say a true opinion on that. I kind of thought you were going to say you couldn't give a true opinion on that because Brian would let you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can we please briefly talk about how creepy the, uh, the, the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kudo was like, Dude, she's not into you. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, yes. Yeah. Leave it alone. <laughs> wow. If that movie came out today, people would be like, stalker alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying way too hard. Because <laughs> when he oh when gosh. he says, "No, let me fire the gun." Like I said it at in the movie, you know, MS3K <laughs> style. But it's like, no. Let me fire the dimension tide because I need something to lord over <laughs> Sujimori's character after she's saved. So I could be like, hey, aren't you in love with me now? I saved your life, you know. Oh. Ignore that I made a digital version of you on my computer. Right. Oh my God. This is really weird. So creepy. Yeah. yeah. Adorable. I do love how that guy was like, uh, <laughs> he says, ah, yeah, Kiriko-chan. Wait, the Wait. major? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. There's, yeah. Like I said, there's just so many good things in this and, and so many bad mm-hmm. things. But uh, overall, my final thoughts are I love this movie for what it wants to be. But gah, it's just so frustrating. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was, I mean, I was enjoying the hell out of it through the Mega Neuron Swarm. And then it was almost like someone just said, no. This is going in this direction and you're not going to like it anymore. And, you know, for a long time, I actually did not watch this film. We did show it at the 50 Years of Godzilla Film Festival because, like I said earlier, this movie has a lot of things in it that I do quantify as being like some of the best things that you can have in a Godzilla movie, you know the the sci-fi the you know monster action it's got some great stuff in it but in the long run it really does sort of sit probably outside of the top 15 you know when you're comparing it to the other Godzilla films which is really too bad for the film uh we did get quite a bit of homework in and we are of course going to start with our kaiju kernels remember if you would like to join the kaiju core just go to kaijucast.com slash support 
and you can uh, check out all the details. The top level of the support group is the Kaiju Colonels, and we're going to start things off with Mr. Andy Campbell. I know I said on Facebook that I was going to call in and trash this movie with you, Kyle. Instead, I'm taking the high road, and I've taken a page out of Kudo's playbook, and I created a computer program nurse to fly around inside this movie <laughs> and fix all the stuff I don't like. Kudo's miniature rice-making nanobots now look like sophisticated robots instead of cheap dollar store wind-up toys. <laughs> the terrible-looking CGI Meganula have been cleaned up. That pointless subplot about the flooding of Tokyo, which, by the way, would have caused way more death and destruction than Godzilla ever could, <laughs> that's been written out. Kudo's OS-fixing nurse that for some reason wears a jetpack sometimes and shoots <laughs> lasers at lines of code, that's gone. And, most tragically of all, Godzilla doing the triple Lindy onto Megaguirus, that's gone. Seriously, though, there is some stuff to like in this movie. I enjoyed how they played with Godzilla's continuity. I like the creature-feature horror movie vibe this movie has going on, with the Meganulon hunting innocent civilians in Tokyo. That was pretty neat. Uh, a surprising amount of blood and gore for a Godzilla movie. I really enjoyed Godzilla's fight with the swarm of Meganula. I would have rather seen that fight continue rather than the one we got with Megagirus. Even though I do really like the monster design of Megagirus, the idea of Godzilla fighting a million small monsters is something they've never really tried before, and I would have preferred seeing that fight play out a little longer than what we got. Though the final showdown with Megagirus is enjoyable and offers some memorable moments. And, of course, Michiru Oshima's score is fantastic. At the end of the day, though, there are just too many problems with this movie. The plot holes, the cheap-looking miniatures, Kudo's stupid inventions, and the numerous facepalm-inducing moments make this movie one I can't recommend to anyone other than seasoned Godzilla fans. And if I can uh, push up in my near glasses uh, for just a minute here, uh, when they're testing the dimension-tied black hole gun why are they wearing sunglasses <laughs> it's a black hole it absorbs light it doesn't emit any they would see nothing they would see literally a black hole that's why they call it a black hole all right that was andy from kaiju 101 schooling us a little bit just like he does on his podcast by the way check out kaiju 101 if you have not done so a fantastic podcast by mr campbell we also got one in from Mr. Benjamin Erickson. I think many people consider Godzilla vs. Megaguirus to be typical of the missteps the millennium movies made. Having watched this movie, while well, that is a point I cannot deny outright, I have a somewhat more positive view. Right from the get-go, I liked how this movie created its own alternate timeline. Sure, it wasn't as cool as the one developed for the then-upcoming Kiryu movies, but it was still neat to see a modern Godzilla in a classic era. Furthermore, the plot involving exotic energy sources, black hole-firing satellites, and time-displaced prehistoric arthropods was enough to keep me entertained. Speaking of which, I am a fan of Megagirus. I know many considered a knockoff Batra with a little legion thrown in for measure, but I find merit in the monster. First, I like how the Meganulon were brought back from the original Rodan film and incorporated into the Megagirus life cycle. Secondly, I like how the kaiju is a big reference to the ancient griffin flies from the Paleozoic, namely Meganira, who lived 300 million years ago in the Carboniferous period. On a related note, it always gets me, during that scene where the scientist is explaining what Megagirus was, 
how sure he was about his ecological dominance. I mean, once there was right? a time when there was a major contention <laughs> yeah. whether T-Rex was a hunter or not. So it must be a very complete fossil record of Megagirus to for him to make that kind of assumption, I guess. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. In terms of the human cast, while they weren't all super engaging, I did like our male protagonist, Kudo. I can see how he may come across as a little goofy at times, but I like the levity he brought to the movie. The only thing I didn't really get about him was his seeming attraction to Captain Tsujimori. I mean, I'm sure she's a nice lady and all, but I didn't really buy it. <laughs> Going back to the special effects side of things, I will admit they were a mixed bag. Generally, the shot involved water, such as when Suji Mori was getting up close and personal with Godzilla, or when Godzilla was making landfall. It looked great, but when it involved things being airborne, the illusion faltered. The griffin never really looked dynamic, Megagirus only looked cool when its wings were blurred, and there was when Godzilla himself became airborne. I mean, I like the attempt to add more physicality to a kaiju battle with a body slam, but it was just not shot really well, so it looked weird. And so, despite ending on some negative notes, I still find this movie entertaining, and despite having to watch this movie for homework, it didn't really feel as such. Alright, and we have one more. Steven, a brand new member to the Kaiju Corps. What the Google Translate voice said there, she said it better than I could. This is Rabbi Steve, newly commissioned colonel in the Kaiju Cast Corps. I was a rabbi chaplain in the Air Force for some time, United States Air Force, and uh, it's good to be in another serving in another elite um, um, unit once again. Um, this one a little more fun. I'm back to studying film scoring these days, and I have to say right up front about this movie, let's get right to the movie, that the MVP for me was the composer of this film. I don't have her name right in front of me right now, but I already got the CD. That's how much I like the score and have been have listened to it already. I think she gave the movie much more than it deserved. Um, some she, if A lot of times the she's responsible for whatever suspension of disbelief I had during the film. I, the human element is so important for me in these films, and I really wasn't that into most of the human characters. First of all, there were way too many little subplots trying to tie them together. This is one of those classic film problems where they just try to do too much in too short time. And um, the uh, major, the military commander of that elite unit, she wasn't a very likable character. And while I certainly could believe that she'd blame this force of nature, Godzilla, on the fact that she was responsible, at least partially, for the death of her commanding officer by disobeying a direct order, thereby having him sacrifice his life to save hers, I don't believe that she would accept a pinky promise from the little boy for you know not telling his parents that he saw and witnessed this top-secret weapons test and that they wouldn't follow up at, at all. No surveillance on him, no making sure he kept his promise, see if what, what the effects were on this. It's just that was unbelievable. Took me out of the movie and there. To the monsters, I really loved the Godzilla suit. It was great. It was that I think it's the same suit or variation that was in Godzilla 2000, which I just recently saw. I'm mostly a Showa child. And I don't know much about the later series. I did see Godzilla 85 in the theater, only recently saw Godzilla 2000, liked it a lot, 
and liked the Godzilla suit. The suit, the suit acting was very good. I liked the Mega Nulon much better than the Mega Gyrus. Um, I think there was an in-between stage there too that was also okay. But the Mega Gyrus, the big monster, I don't know, it worked sometimes. They put way too much CGI and opticals along with the practical and it wasn't a good blend. Let's put it this way. No, it was no Pacific Rim. And um, so I probably watch this movie again on a scale of one to ten i might give it a five um i did like when the major rode on godzilla that was a very cool moment um wish there was more of that kind of thing little mopey dick ahab there uh which i guess was the motivation they were trying to give her and i did like the two scientists the uh, older woman i recognized her from another godzilla movie i can't remember what it was but that was cool having her in there for, in terms of legacy and of course the mega nulon from rodan um a movie i'll watch again only in the japanese not soon wouldn't recommend it to newbies thanks again looking forward to more in these newer series and more from you guys thanks bye and last but not least, we have another new-ish member. This is Danny and his homework. Danny was actually uh, the recipient of a giveaway at G-Fest. I gave away a kernel membership, so take it away, Danny. Godzilla vs. Megagirish was one of the final Godzilla films I saw on my quest to track down every one of the Monster King's adventures many years ago. Having grown up with Godzilla 2000, I was excited to see the same design back in action and wondered if the stories linked up as well. Sadly, that didn't turn out to be the case, as Megagirus launched the millennium-era obsession with creating direct sequels to the original 1954 film, but with a few elements tweaked. It's an idea that I really liked about the new films, actually, but the revisionist history angle of this film was pretty extreme, and it's only one bizarre element in a sea of such bizarreness that comes to define this unique, quirky, but undeniably fun installment in the Godzilla series. The film, which was director Mizaki Tezuka's first installment in the franchise, has flashes of brilliance and a peculiar charm about it, but these great moments are somewhat weighed down by the sloppiness and unusual story elements that we find in the film. The aforementioned revised timeline is a cool idea, but ultimately has little impact on the overall story, and was executed better in the following Millennium films. The story itself is actually very clever in places and fun throughout with one of the greatest delights being the concept of the G-Graspers. Although not fully fleshed out and seriously lacking characterization, their organization comes off as a Godzilla version of an ultra-series science patrol organization, and it's a fun idea to see in a Godzilla film. The characters that populate the film, although cliched, are fun and likable, and the actors play their parts well. One pleasant surprise was the return of Showa Godzilla actress Yuriko Hoshi, my personal favorite Godzilla actress. And wouldn't you know it, She's still beautiful 36 years after her last G film. For quite a while after seeing it, I actually didn't know it was her playing the role until I saw Mega Garris on one of her acting resumes, and I was like, holy cow, that's her? This movie just got 10 times more awesome. On the monster side of things, the return of Mega Nulon, last seen eviscerating miners in Rodan, is really a great idea, as this film finally allows the creatures to shine and go through their complete life cycle. The Mega Nula's attack on Godzilla is a highlight of the Millennium series as a whole, really, but Megagirus' first wiry appearance? Not so much. Seriously, how did that get into the final cut? Was the director or the editor drunk on sake? We may never know. Despite the issues in the film, it has a number of very positive points, one being the fact that for once, almost all the fights and major effects scenes take place in broad daylight. 
It's a very bright film in general due to this, and the visuals are punctuated by what I believe is the film's best aspect, Michiru Oshima's incredible score. Her work is, in the series is second only to Ifakube, in my opinion. And although she too would improve in her following 2G scores, she knocks it out of the park here. In the end, Godzilla vs. Megagaris is an undeniably flawed film, but despite those flaws, it's one of the most fun entrances in the series, and definitely one of the um, most fun of the recent installments, Heisei and Millennium. There's plenty to enjoy, and in the end, that's what watching a Godzilla film is all about, right? Three and a half dimension tides, out of five. And there you have it. That is our kaiju colonels who have uh, sent in their homework. We have our regular scheduled homework right now, and we're going to start things off with Chris. Uh, Chris says that, of course, Godzilla vs. Megaguirus is not a shining star in the series, but does, in actuality, have a lot of good qualities. The Megaguirus design, for example, being one of them. The special effects are fairly well-crafted, but could use a touch-up here and there such as the CGI segments and one or two shots of Megaguirus where the wires show. Other than that, however, this Godzilla suit is performed well by Sutomo Kitagawa and looks quite powerful. The miniatures are a joy to behold. Chris particularly enjoys a sequence in the beginning of the film where Godzilla punches through a building and the lights flicker off. It's a small sequence, but it adds a great deal of realism. However, Chris thinks that the addition of the child character into the narrative was a poor choice as it degrades the film into being considered a kid's movie. And whilst kid's movies are not inherently bad by any stretch, Chris personally prefers Godzilla movies to be seen as films for all ages, and especially not just for children. Equally, the trend of forgetting every film, bar the original, already seems like a poor narrative choice, despite being only the second film of the millennium era to employ it. The characters are generally forgettable, which is a shame, because had they been more developed and interesting, they could certainly have improved the overall quality of the film. In conclusion, while Godzilla vs. Megaguirus certainly had the potential to be great, Chris thinks that its problems force it to be just an okay entry. Nothing too special, but nothing too terrible either. Johnny notes that Godzilla x Megaguirus is definitely one of the stronger films in the Millennium series, but not the best. Pros about this movie are the return of the Meganulon, the kaiju action is solid and fun, the freaking black hole gun, Megaguras was an interesting villain, and Godzilla was awesome as usual. Cons were that there were a lot of dead ends in the plot. Godzilla's body slam looked ridiculous. Another direct sequel to the original, and the big one is that Johnny could see the wires on Megaguras when she first attacked. One nice touch was refilming uh, scenes from the original with the Millennium suit and the updated effects. Overall, if the people working on the film worked a bit harder, he feels that the film could potentially be one of the best of the Millennium series. But as it stands, Johnny gives it a 2.75 Kaiju Dragonflies out of 5. So this is two guys who have already mentioned that uh, they've talked about the being a direct sequel to the original. And so if if listeners out there are unaware, I know we have some new listeners, which is awesome. Uh, the Millennium Era, which is from 1999 through 2004, each individual film of that era, with the exception of Godzilla X Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS, each one of those films is its own singular entry and is, is a direct sequel to the original Godzilla film. So that's the way that Toho actually planned it. They were like, we're gonna, we're gonna shake things up and do things differently. So, 
that's how they did it for the last uh what was that six movies in the series five movies in the series but they uh tokyo sos is of course a direct sequel to mecha godzilla but mecha godzilla is not a sequel to anything but the original film tom notes that mega neuron's debut was a warm-up act for rodan and what a great job they did here as a headliner the results are mixed whether script effect or techniques sometimes mega gears looked great raised the drama and surprises with neat ideas but then it intermittently hams it up phones in the special effects and collapses Megaguirus is aimed at the 10-year-old demographic, hence licensed to cut corners in the convincing department. <laughs> Tellingly, the goofy scientist character fools kids with hidden microbots and a microwave oven, which are far neater. But when exposed, he says, now I'll lose credibility with those kids. It made Tom, it made Tom wonder if the creators have ever actually met any 10-year-old kids. <laughs> They would be far more charmed by a film that is confident in itself and the capacity of its audience for thought, clarity, appreciation of well-crafted effects and wonder. Not an unwatchable film, it's still disappointing to watch so many squandered opportunities. Brandon doesn't think Godzilla vs. Megaguirus is good, but if you look at it in a different way, it's really good. It is like an experimental movie and some of it works. He really loves the soundtrack and got it for Christmas one year. He would listen to it to go to sleep, and it it's really eerie and awesome. He loves the monster battles, and especially the beginning with the Godzilla suit with the Gojira footage. Herman really likes Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. It feels like a Showa 70s film, yet with the updated special effects and the early scenes of Meganulon attacking people added a touch of horror. The Millennium Suit is his favorite Godzilla design, he thinks Megaguirus is an awesomely designed Godzilla rival. Megaguirus has formidable melee weapons like the two menacing pincher claws like Ebira's and that huge stinger. Having been stung by three wasps at once, the thought of a kaiju with a stinger is indeed threatening. While Herman does understand the criticisms that Megaguirus' flying effects were rather pathetic, it just never bothered him enough to hamper his enjoyment of the film. The battle between Godzilla and Megaguirus was very entertaining. It was inventive that they gave a function to the Millennium Godzilla larger, sharper, more jagged dorsal plates that could be used as a weapon, which Herman thought was pretty cool. He also dug how Godzilla bit and crushed Megaguirus' stinger. By no means is it any masterpiece, but he does think it's much better than it usually gets credit for. Just a fun, entertaining Godzilla adventure. It's not his first choice, but Herman would be okay with showing it to a new kaiju fan. Daniel had low expectations going into Godzilla vs. Megaguirus due to its consistently negative reviews from fans. He was pleasantly surprised by its human cast, particularly the lead protagonist. Maybe he's a sucker for revenge so stories, but her personal disdain for Godzilla really carried the movie for Daniel. The monster fights are serviceable enough, but Megaguirus is an instantly forgettable kaiju and her effects are lousy. Godzilla is badass as always, no complaints to be had there. Godzilla vs. Megaguirus is right in the middle of the pack for Godzilla movies, which is a shame because Daniel feels like they wasted what really was a great protagonist with great motivation to want to kill Godzilla. Final rating, 5 out of 10 black hole guns. It has been a while since Jamie has seen this movie, and it's really quite interesting to look back at this period of Godzilla films, especially after watching the 2014 film, as they were starting to integrate more CGI elements. Truth be told, Jamie still loves the suits and miniatures, and this movie. 
This film has a good plot that ties into the subplot quite nicely, and Jamie especially liked how this movie sets out to establish itself in a different universe by replicating several famous scenes from the original Godzilla with upgraded effects and the movie's Godzilla suit. The use of smaller, more mobile units to try and lure Godzilla away from the science research facility was a good change, instead of just more planes and tanks. Really dangerous, but different, which is good. Jamie loves Kiriko Tsujimori, played by Misato Tanaka, as the lead in this film, and that she plays a role that is typically filled by men before, and there is almost no change to her character. She also has a really good character arc, starting off as a scared but determined soldier, becoming a valued leader of the G-Graspers, who is highly respected by her men, and finally finding peace by letting go of the guilt she felt for her commander being killed while saving her life. And the ability to literally let her hair down, actually. You know. <laughs> uh, everyone knows her motivation, but they don't use it to undermine her. And the men under her command follow her orders without question. She risks her own life time and time again. And as a good leader would, she has no time for kudos flirting BS. <laughs> Jamie really did not like kudo. He's insensitive, loud, annoying, and constantly flirts with Kiriko when she has no interest in him. Jamie also really loves this Godzilla suit design. Yes, even with the little pink on the dorsal fins. Although he once heard that the size of the said fins made the suit that much harder on suit actor Tom Kitagawa. Jamie loved his performance as Godzilla, giving the big G more of an animalistic feeling in how he reacts to the world about it. Such as when it smashed, it was smashing itself against the rocks to dislodge the smaller Meganulon. The design of Megagirus was really cool, reminiscent of an offshoot of Mothra, in a sense. He asks if we found watching the two kaiju fighting to be somewhat comedic. It wasn't on the level of the Showa series. No, you know, giant flying drop kicks. But we had Megagirus playing hide-and-seek with the big G using its super speed. It smiled when it dropped that giant cube on Godzilla's head. <laughs> and the bonking of its claws on Godzilla's head, and of course... Godzilla's body slam. It just felt like they were going for a more funny, Showa-inspired fight scene. Taking a moment to talk about the music, it's hard to imagine a Godzilla film without Akira Ifukube's classic stylings, but Michiro Oshima delivers the goods. When Jamie hears her central theme for Godzilla in the Millennium series, it feels like it belongs to Godzilla, and he believes that this movie, along with the Mechagodzillas to follow after, really showcased her talents. She was definitely a worthy successor of Akira Fukube. You know, that is something I totally forgot to mention. Uh, when I saw this film, I was blown away at how awesome the soundtrack was. Mm -hmm. And even like watching it now, just like that soundtrack, her score does a fantastic job of getting me excited for the film. Yeah, yeah. that's tremendous. It's almost better than the movie itself. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, it is. John recently watched G versus Megaguirus, and I know although it's not the best G film, it was still enjoyable. It has aliens from another dimension, a black hole, and cool scientific equipment uh, that we are used to from the older sci-fi films. Things that stood out for John were Godzilla's bright yellow slash orange fins. He really liked the change from the bright bluish fins that we're used to seeing when he fires up his atomic breath. He's seen this film a few times, and at first, it seemed weird when the camera action speeds up and slows down during parts of the fight scene. But the more he sees the film, the more he likes it. It gave this movie distinction, Godzilla bites Mega's tail, and we have a pause. 
The scene makes this G movie unique. Chris G did not like this movie at first and couldn't believe that the G graspers were using handheld rocket launchers to fight Godzilla. Really? Those rockets just tickle the king of the monsters. He would think <laughs> that by now the G graspers would know that those little rockets barely have an effect on Godzilla. But after the scene, but after that scene, he started enjoying the film and found the story to be campy but creative. Godzilla looked menacing, and the underwater model scenes looked fantastic. The Meganula slash Megagirus monsters were creepy, and Chris was impressed that the wings of the Megagirus could slice buildings in half. The sound effects were unique as well. When Godzilla was fighting Megagirus, it sounded like breaking of twigs or dry branches. He had to laugh when Godzilla bit off Megagirus' stinger because it sounded like Godzilla took a bite out of a nacho chip. Chris thought that shooting the monster fight scenes in a staggered slow-motion style wasn't really necessary. The end scene with Kudo and Major Sujimori was weird, and he didn't quite get it, but overall, he liked the film. Not one of his favorites, but he would recommend it to another kaiju fan. Joey considers Godzilla x Megaguirus to be one of the weakest of the Godzilla films. The one thing that he considers to be this film's biggest downfall is the special effects. The miniatures looked awful, and he see- he's seeing the wires on Megaguirus has convinced him that he was supposed to be seeing them. The one thing he likes about the film is the score. Joey would not show this to a kaiju newbie. Jason usually prefers the Millennium series over the Heisei series, so he went into this movie expecting to have a lot of good things to say about it. However, while he wholeheartedly enjoys the film, he also has trouble defending it. The miniature sets aren't great. He likes Godzilla's suit design, but not the young Meganulon. Megagirus is cool enough, but the story is fairly slow. He does love the kaiju battles, once the movie gets there. He likes the human characters, but they are fairly simple. So even though he thoroughly enjoys this film, Jason would not say this is a good movie to show newbies. Godzilla vs. Megagiras makes Matt and his dog Ashley long for the good old days of the Showa era when the good guys and the bad guys were interesting characters and Godzilla had some personality. With, with few exceptions, this movie's sense of fun was clearly sucked up by a dimension-tied black hole. <laughs> it's not a total disaster. The music's memorable as in the Godzilla as Bug Zapper scene, but there's no aspect of the movie that compares favorably to its contemporaries. The practical special effects are decent, but the CGI looks dated. An all-practical-effects version with with a pro like Eiji Tsuburaya in charge might make for a better movie. A little more depth to the characters would have been good, too. Godzilla vs. Megagiras lands somewhere in the bottom third of my kaiju movie list, it's a good example of a filmmaker's reach exceeding his grasp. His G-grasp. <laughs> <laughs> I added that. You did. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. Adam has always found Godzilla x Megaguirus to be a lackluster film. There's simply not a lot there. There are some fantastic ideas, and some of them are explored, but for the most part, he finds that it falls short of achieving what could have been one of the most original and dynamic entries in the series since Gojira. Megagirus's plot sounds more interesting than it manages to manifest itself on screen, and it isn't at all helped by the acting performances. Misato Tanaka's character is so dramatic and so unbending to humor or softness that it's very hard to get close to her as a character. On the other hand, Shosuke Tanihara's performance is so over-the-top at times, 
you expect him to break into song and dance whenever his character makes another successful achievement. As far as the enemy monsters are concerned, the Mega Neuron props were wonderfully designed, and the Mega Nula proved to be an interesting opponent against Godzilla. Mega Gears was the most interesting of the three stages of the insect, but unfortunately she looks like an obvious attempt to revamp Batra. As far as the execution of this monster is concerned, Megagirus was at her best when her wings were buzzing at supersonic speeds. This increased the realism of the creature by adding what appeared to be an acceptable amount of lift. When her wings weren't flying at high speeds, however, her flight was unrealistic and reminiscent of the flight woes that plagued the Heisei era. This film did excel in Godzilla matte effects. They were pretty flawless for the most part and really gave the illusion of a gigantic monster swimming towards Tokyo. Another noteworthy special effect triumph is the Meganula. Even though there were many dozen in a scene at once, none of them were deprived an ample amount of realism. Michiro Oshima's score made up for what the movie lacked in visual atmosphere. The score is reminiscent of Akira Fukube's themes while adding a modern touch. Godzilla's theme is an earworm, most definitely, but one that is highly doubtful to become obnoxious. The music wasn't without its grimmest moments. The final battle between Godzilla and Megagirus has one of the odder themes in the movie. Godzilla x Megagirus G Annihilation Strategy may be not the greatest Godzilla movie ever. Dan thinks that Godzilla vs. Megagirus is a good Godzilla movie. The plot harkens back to the original movie where Godzilla is a natural force of destruction wreaking havoc in Japan. The Godzilla costume is much improved through small tweaks to the one used in Godzilla 2000. This Godzilla has a sinister Saurian nature that is a good companion to his role as a force of destruction. The monster action wavers between good and okay. Megagirus itself is a cool design but lackluster in execution. The swarms of smaller foes were pleasantly reminiscent of the aggregate forms in Godzilla vs. Destroya. The human cast was on an acceptable level for a Godzilla movie and the only real standout was the female lead, whose sense of duty and hatred seemed genuine. The sense of tension and danger are constantly looming in the background of the movie, whether from Godzilla himself or the other monster or even malfunctioning equipment. Overall, Godzilla vs. Megagirus is a good romp in the playground of kaiju movies. Mike says that Godzilla vs. Megagirus is a film that seems to have fallen into a forgotten niche. It's sandwiched between the subpar Godzilla 2000 and the much-lauded GMK, and as a result, is often glossed over. It has flaws, it's not a perfect film, but it's quirky and an interesting one. Aesthetically, more than any other movie in the franchise, this film takes inspiration from Tsuburaya's Ultra Series, uh, nice. mm -hmm. rather ironic as the Ultra Series was originally an attempt to bring the Kaiju Ega boom to television. The blue uniform team with their super mech machinery, spunky attitudes, and limited membership are the most obvious nod to their TV counterparts, and, just as in those shows, some of these damn hippies need a haircut. <laughs> no way a military outfit would let that trendy fashion sense go. Also, like those shows, this movie is set in a complete alternate universe with its own post-1954 history. More than any other special effect, CGI has a palpable sell-by date. A lot of the ropey CGI in this film seemed passable at the time, but today it looks like something that belonged to one of those sci-fi asylum productions like Mega Ostrich vs. Thunder Llama, starring, <laughs> starring, starring Gary Busey, Tony Danza, and whatever 
has been one hit wonder female singer they can scrounge up. <laughs> Thankfully, the suitmation and miniatures save it, although the miniatures often look exactly like miniatures and would never be mistaken for the real thing. For an insect monster, Megagirus had a decidedly reptilian mouth, something sometimes it looked more like a dragon than a dragonfly, and that strobe camera effect in the final battle, what was up with that? Camera epilepsy aside, Mike enjoyed the final confrontation between Godzilla and Megagirus. Not sure why so many had a problem with that. And of course, the island battle between Godzilla and the Meganeuron is the film's highlight. I think that might be the problem with it, is that the film's highlight really happens in the middle of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mike sees shades of Godzilla raids again with a token white-coated paleontologist regurgitating intensely detailed knowledge about Megagirus and Meganeuron that he by no rights should have known. He also thought it was odd that the kids were so disappointed at the film's beginning to discover that the spoon of curry rice was being made by miniature robots. Dude, miniature robots. <laughs> wow. That, yeah, like he agrees with us. Wow, that was a weird scene to roll credits on. <laughs> and after that, you get the first post-credits scene in the Godzilla series history. Megagirus tried a lot of new things and wasn't always successful, but Mike is glad it exists. It's still better than a lot of the Heisei films that made more money. Paul writes in to say that Godzilla vs. Megagirus, despite despite its numerous flaws, including a script highly derivative of other kaiju movies, is a very entertaining film. While the Queen Megagirus was a bit underwhelming, the adult Meganula swarm was quite impressive on screen. A lot of people diss this movie, and Steven gets why. He also doesn't care. Well, maybe a little. He likes it. It has never ceased to entertain him, even upon repeated viewings. And there are a lot of movies he cannot say that uh, say that about. All right, so there you go. That was our uh, Daikaiju discussion for Godzilla X Megagirus. Thank you to everybody who sent in their homework. Thank you to our colonels for sending in their uh, their audio homework. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And are you guys wondering what next month's movie is? Yes. yes. The movie for October 2014 is Dogra, the Space Monster. Oh. Sweet. Yeah, and I think we're going to do the same thing. We're probably going to watch it earlier. So we'll probably have to do that on the 25th. Which means that I'm going to need all the homework sent in by October 22nd. October 22nd is the deadline. Make sure you get your homework sent in before the 22nd. If you want to send your homework, make sure you send that in through the contact form on the KaijuCast website. And because we talked so much about Michiro Oshima's score before we move into our very brief amount of news, I think what we're going to do is we are going to play Godzilla X Megagiris by Michiru Oshima.
United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So the good news is that we don't really have much to cover because we just recorded our episode <laughs> about uh, Hail to the King just like last week. Was that last week? Oh yeah. my gosh. So yeah, not a lot of news. Uh, the biggest thing that I wanted to report slash announce is that uh, I wanted to congratulate Keith Foster for making his goal for the Kickstarter project for Kadoja. So huzzah. Yeah. I can't wait to actually get that in graphic novel form so I can just like sit there and read the entire thing from start to finish mm-hmm. without having to find all my individual issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's rad. If you supported him, thank you very much. If you didn't, that's okay. You can redeem yourself by supporting the Kaiju Gaiden Kickstarter campaign. So basically, Kaiju Gaiden, I'm going to let them explain it too. But I know this guy named Mark Haramio, who was the dude who uh, basically brought Legendary Beast Wolfman versus Godzilla to American audiences. Not the full film, but like the little clips. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryan... Before, like three years ago, you'd seen like little photos and stuff from that, right? Yeah, I, I, I only saw still photos and I barely knew anything about it. Yeah, a few years ago, Mark Haramio actually did a presentation at G Fest and I saw the like piece of paper taped to the wall, but I didn't, I don't know what the deal was. I was either too busy or something. I didn't really pay attention to it. Then I walked past the room the next day that they were doing the, presentation in and i was like oh wow what's uh, a ton of people in there and then i was walking past it again when the room let out and it was hot and sweaty and, <laughs> and they were they, i mean they were they had that room packed i think jeff zorno stepped out and he was like oh my god dude and like told me about <laughs> it and it was uh i was like i can't believe i missed that <laughs> so the following year i uh i definitely had to check it out and i i met mark of course and uh super great dude and he's very passionate about actually bringing this stuff to people in the west like ourselves so uh what we are going to do right now is we are going to play the audio for their kickstarter campaign because obviously i'm doing a documentary Hail to the King, 60 Years of Destruction. So I want to support more independent kaiju-centric documentaries. I'm Mark Hadamio, one of the producers of Kaiju Gaiden. Kaiju Gaiden is the culmination of years of research by myself and David Hall concerning independent filmmakers and their respective projects, many of which have languished in obscurity for years. Hi. My name is David Hall, director and producer of Kaiju Gaiden. Mark and I teamed up and have been working for the past two years to bring you this documentary. We are asking fans and donors to contribute to production that is already planned and which interviews are already prearranged. If you take a look at our Kickstarter page below, you will see that we have a list of many exclusive items for participating in this experience, such as posters, lobby cards, figures, You can have your name in the thank you section and even be listed as a producer on the film. Our intent is to pay tribute to the filmmakers who have put their heart and soul into preserving the genre of traditional tokusatsu films. These works deserve to be seen and appreciated by fans worldwide. Kaiju Gaiden is the first time the world will see footage from these films. 
It's the documentary that will tell the true story behind these filmmakers and their independent kaiju and tokusatsu productions. Kaiju Gaiden is a project of unprecedented ambition. It is part of an ongoing task to track down, catalog, and promote independent kaiju and tokusatsu films and their creators. This is an effort to preserve these works, which I see as having significant historical value in the chronology of motion pictures. Every contribution you give matters. Please help us raise the money to release this film and to usher back in the kaiju era. This Kickstarter campaign gives everyone an opportunity to become part of this milestone project and part of tokusatsu history. So there you go. Straight from the mouths of the dudes who are doing this. Uh, not only do have these guys tracked down uh, Shizuo Nakajima. He's a, he's the guy who directed Wolfman vs. Godzilla. And it, that movie is literally still being made, actually. So they're still working on it like decades after uh, it was produced. But like, man, the footage looks fantastic. I mean, they built their own 62 Godzilla suit. And yeah. oh, man, so cool. Anyway. Uh, they tracked him down. Obviously, they're talking to Shinpei Hayashia, who is the director of Gamera 4. We talked to him in our documentary. And they've found a Daimajine movie and a uh, Atragon movie. Seriously, like, looks oh, cool. really cool. I went to their uh, their panel at G-Fest, and it was, like, super awesome to see. I wish I could remember the name of it. They have footage from a movie that I've never seen before, but I've seen model kits from. From I think this company called Nito. Not sure. Don't quote me on that. But it was really interesting to see the actual footage from back in the day. Seems really cool. So their Kickstarter campaign, as of tonight's recording, has 44 days to go. Hopefully, we'll get funded by November 12th, 2014. So I really want to support them. And I really want to see this get done. And, you know, if you supported the Kaiju Cast Kickstarter, I really, really uh, am very happy that, that that made it, you know. Clearly, we're still working on our documentary, uh, but definitely, definitely consider supporting Kaiju Gaiden because that is going to be awesome. That's really it for our news. Not really too much. I mean, catastrophic events is the exact same as the last episode. Go to Chiller Theater. That's happening the 24th through the 26th in New Jersey. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. We're just going to close up the show right now, finish it all. <laughs> So if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, make sure you point your web browser to KaijuCast.com and see everything that we're about. We've got our episode list, the Daikaiju discussion schedule, every episode we've done, all the links to our social media networks like Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, even YouTube. We've, of course, got the commentaries. Monster Music Monday happens every Monday. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, th- big thanks to everybody who sent in their homework. Big thanks to these guys who are sitting in front of me, Cindy, Rachel, and Brian, for coming over and helping me out. We are going to close the show out with one final song. Uh, and you, Brian, suggested Masaru Sato. So we have chosen a song from, and I don't think I've ever played this on the podcast before. This one is from Godzilla's, oh, no, sorry, Son of Godzilla. As it's known here in the States. <laughs> <laughs> this one is called Snowflakes on the Southern Sea. We will see you next month 
for an episode which might actually have the Kaiju Gaiden guys in it. So, fingers crossed there. Nice. Uh, but we will see you for the next episode. Jamata. Jamata.